we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. And welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. I'm at class with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and on today's show, Ron, our inter- interview with David Meikle. Yeah, Ed. How's it going, Ron? This. Very good. Uh, I, I understand uh, you're sitting in an airport. <laughs> yes, this may be a first. I'm, I think uh, it is. Well, on a couple of different levels. Number one, it's the first time I'm ever doing the show from an airport club in Boston, Massachusetts, Logan International. Uh, um, headed home tonight from from a, a week here at Accountex USA, which is a great show that that Sage participated in. But I'll also say, and this is this is a, a bow to our our guest uh, David. Just so you know this, David, I'm in the airline club, and I have foregone getting my free wine so wow. that's how important yeah <laughs> that's a big deal david let me tell you i i don't know what to say i mean i'm i'm, I'm honored thank you <laughs> so anyway uh let me give us some biographical information then we'll get right right into the interview uh, uh david sure. meekle as i said joins us uh, with, with a career in marketing communications that spans more than two decades, David has worked with two of the world's largest advertising networks, Gray, London, and Ogilvy and Mather. Did I say Mather right? We, we always have a debate yeah. about that. It's Mather? No, no Mather's okay. perfect, yep. Yeah. All right, good. Uh, all right, cool. D- during this time, he worked with some of the biggest brands and brand owners, including Unilever, Ford, GlaxoSmithKline, Nestle, American Express, and BP. Not British Petroleum, by the way. BP. Very important. <laughs> and in 2003, David joined Ogilvy Russia as Group Managing Director. In less than four years, Ogilvy Russia had become the largest creative group in the Russian Federation, increasing revenues by more than 500%. Well, I guess when you're starting from zero, that's pretty easy. But we'll, we'll more about that <laughs> in a little bit. Um, <laughs> He returned to the UK and founded marketing consultancy Salt Partners um, while working for the post office, Bayer, uh, BMI, uh, Healthcare, and several leading creative media agencies who developed a strategic framework that would become the Monkey House and wrote his first book, How to Buy a Gorilla, which we're going to be talking a lot about today. Uh, he uh, re- renaming um, his business after the book in 2017. So first question, David, marketing in Russia, is that like selling snowballs in hell? <laughs> it, it was an extraordinary experience, I, I, I must say. Um, yeah, uh, th- there were one or two moments when when I I, I said to myself, um, if you'd asked me six months ago if I would find myself in ninety seven degrees Celsius of steam heat with a hangover the size of Jupiter, naked, being thrashed by a naked Russian man I met the night before at a party, I'd have said no. I don't think that's a likely future. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a time of surprises. I can I can tell you that much. Um, but in business terms, it was it was the heyday. It was before all of this 
um, nonsense with the with Crimea and so on when we were the the West was operating with with Russia really well and the the economy was booming. It was a it was a brick market in its prime. So I had the opportunity of. Um, taking on the leadership of uh, an, an affiliate agency. So Ogilvy was already established. It wasn't a zero base run. Uh, sorry, Ed, from which I grew okay. 500%. <laughs> um, so it was, a, it was a several million dollar uh, business that I took on with about 60 people. Um, but it had, been, it had been running for margin. Um, and in, instead of running for margin, I said, "Look, if you, to the owner, if you really want growth, because we're going to go through this earnout period, then we need to reduce our operating margin and invest in growth." And we did that. And in the first year, we doubled the revenue. In the second year, we put on the same again and the same again. So um, by the time we left, it was nearly 200 people. And um, most importantly for me, actually, just beyond the revenue growth, was that we'd taken the top spot. Um, on agency rosters with all of our clients. When I got there, it was a train wreck. Um, it was there were a lot of very unhappy clients who were tied into a global contract, and and I needed to to kind of get it into into shape. Um, and and the most satisfying thing was seeing the value that we were contributing just going up and up and up. But yeah, um, Russia. Yeah, and, 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 Russia is an extraordinary place. It's the it's the home of the minus two sum game. <laughs> that's that's why it's the most extraordinary place to operate. Yeah, no, really interesting. And put it in a little bit of historical context for us. So the the the, 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 the and and it, Ron, I'm just going to bring you in for a second here. I know it's not your segment, but I think you were the one who told me about the the famous advert uh, advert that it was. I think it was Ogilvy did first over the wall. Wall right in in uh, oh in Berlin nineteen eighty or ninety two or something right David Berlin. I think I think that was Saatchi David who did that did you ever see that first <laughs> over the that? wall it was ah. when the Berlin Wall came down and and they went on to the other side and they put an it was an ad campaign no. I forget the brand but it was first over the wall I thought it was brilliant yeah that's great an opportunity like that it's a moment in history so fantastic work to to whoever did that i wasn't aware of it myself but it sounds terrific it sounds terrific so so in 2003 then um how long had ogilvy been in russia well um there was a, a, a an agency an independent agency there called propaganda um which was uh, owned <laughs> Uh, yeah, no. Um, owned by a guy called uh, Leonid Shutov, who is now a, a very successful restaurateur in London. Um, and he um, approached Ogilvy after the the the, the crash, the, the ruble crash in 1998, and basically said, "Your your agency has just closed its doors, and you've got all of these international clients without a home. Do you want some help?" Um, and from 98 to 2003, they were kind of rebuilding that. And that's when interest in Russia um, was beginning to, to grow with international businesses and big companies like Ford and Ikea and so on were starting to, to look to invest in, in, in manufacture in Russia. Um, so 
it, it kind of grew steadily then. And then around about when I hit, I mean, it's kind of like it, it felt a bit like goal hanging because which is I, I don't know if that's a, a term you use in soccer in the States. It's a football term here where you just don't really work terribly hard and hang around the goal mouth waiting for someone to pass you the ball so you can take all the glory. And it felt a little bit like that because I was there at the perfect time. Um, to really just sort of ride the wave of economic growth and and exploit it, but growing that fast has its own problems. When um, when Shelley Lazarus, the then president of of Ogilvy, came to visit, she said, "You got problems. They're high class problems, but they're still problems." <laughs> and it was it was absolutely true. It's you know you you're trying to grow that fast and and still stay cohesive and still deliver high value um, when you've got new faces arriving almost daily <clears throat> it's a challenge in itself but it was a hell of a lot of fun i'm sure and and now you came back to the uk but when did you come back to the uk how long were you in russia for um i did four years uh, just about so towards the end of 2008 um i sorry 2007 um i came back and um took some time out and decided to to um dust myself off and get back into the market just as Lehman Brothers collapsed, which I can't say is the best timing of my life. So it was kind of, that was the yin and yang between <laughs> picking the, the sure. best four years to spend in Russia and the worst possible time to come back into senior management advertising market in the UK. Um, but that was when um, me and a, and a couple of colleagues decided to, um, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. That's when we started Salt. The idea of stock was basically, you know, our our overriding observation across all aspects of, of marketing was that um, clients very rarely pay for advertising or marketing services or work with agencies in ways that are most conducive to the value that they seek from them. And it was based on that insight that we kind of thought, OK, let's let's do something in this space. Interesting. And so, okay, so you've you've been out of Russia now for oh, ten years. You still have friends yeah. over there? Yeah, sure. In fact, I'm seeing some people here. My 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 wife is Russian. We met when when I was there. So, and my my son Daniel is bilingual. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm I'm still. Uh, my my mother-in-law was over here on on holiday recently. I'm still quite connected. I haven't been back myself, although um, my my wife Olga and Daniel are going over for. Um, a short holiday in October. I'm a little bit envious, but um, yes, I, I still and I'm still in contact with a lot of people from the agency. Um, take, you know, th these are the things we can be grateful to Mark Zuckerberg for. <laughs> and and do you think it's significantly changed in the last ten years? Has it, it gotten a little bit more difficult from an advertising perspective with with Putin and and all of that going on? It's a it's a very different environment now. Uh, in fact, my my mother-in-law Natasha was just saying when she was here that I wouldn't be able to work there now the way that I I, I was before. It's um, it's not the same place. I mean, Putin is a is a very very strange animal. Um, and I think that what the West doesn't really understand is that the kind of things in which we trade to 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 coerce or to persuade other foreign countries to to comply with our principles or, or, or whatever, you know, the kind of sanctions that we impose, 
there are some countries to which they're just they, they don't matter it's just a, a, an exercise in in bureaucracy it's not really important and russia's one of those markets russia's one of those places so the the kind of things that we're using <clears throat> to persuade putin to to change his behavior just aren't really relevant it's not something that he, that he recognizes um so yeah it's a it's a it's a difficult place it's a difficult place to be i mean even when i was there it's hard to it's it's it, after about eighteen months when the adrenaline wears off, and it took about a year and a half. Um, you realise that you're living in a place without an effective rule of law, and that's difficult. That's just daily stress, um, and that's not something that that we wanted to start a family, and so um, hence we we moved back. Yeah, really interesting because you know one of the things obviously with going on here in in the U.S. with with uh, Trump and and tariffs and all that stuff. One comparison I heard is look, we could have quote free un, end quote trade with Russia wouldn't stop the fact that you still got to pay bribes to get stuff done. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah, that 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 is without a doubt. I mean, the 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 funniest thing um, I experienced is after I've been there a little while, someone told me about Sarbanes Oxley compliance, um, <laughs> and he, yeah, it's it's a different world. I mean, yes, I I was I was green lit as 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 compliant, and and we had to be. It just meant that there's so much that you can't do. Um, <clears throat> so I had a. Uh, I had a copywriter come to me one day and said, I've, I've got an interesting opportunity. Do, do, you, do you want me to, to talk to you about it? I said, sure. I said, well, I know a guy who knows a guy who works in the tax department um, of, of, you know, the income tax department um, in, in the Russian government. I said, right. And said, they, they want to run an ad campaign to, uh, to persuade people to register for income tax because there's a lot of black cash. Um, there's a there's a there's a very big cash economy there, and I said, wow, that that does sound interesting. I mean, that would be a really so you know what kind of budget have they got? He said, well, that's the interesting thing. They they don't really have any budget. <laughs> I said, well, so we don't we can't really work for nothing. He said, well, you wouldn't work for nothing. They just turned a they turn a blind eye to our tax payments for a little <laughs> while. <laughs> Until such a time as it kind of balanced out, I said, "I, I, I really don't think I'm going to be able to do that." Dang! Oh my goodness, David, yeah. that is a fantastic story. But we're already at our first break here. I want to remind our listeners that you can contact Ron or myself by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is thesoulofenterprise.com, where you can see show notes from our previous shows as well as upcoming preview episodes. But right now, a word from our sponsor and head of our social media, Leading Results. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Is your website just a brochure or is it your best salesperson? If your site is not the best lead generation tool you have, we should talk. We are leading results. We build websites and marketing programs that impact your bottom line. Using HubSpot or WordPress, we'll create a website and supporting marketing program that gets your business found, converts web visitors to leads, and provides clear tracking on what is and is not working. Learn about our team and approach to your success. Visit leadingresults.com slash TSOE to find out more. 
Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the foreword changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the foreword to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its foreword. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the foreword and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Well, welcome back, everybody. We're here with marketing consultant David Meekle. And David, we met up in Toronto, and I just remember at our when we were sitting there signing our books, <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> Russia for like three hours. Yeah. I was just yeah. fascinated with some of the stories you were telling me. I could go on that forever. It was really interesting how you how you went over there and, and worked. But I kind of want to dive into your book um, because I've read it, and I know Ed Ed is in the process of reading it. I think he's gotten through most of it. Uh, mm-hmm. How to bu- how to buy a gorilla? That, yeah, <laughs> that was published in 2017. So I got I got a two part question for you. Okay. One, why do I want to buy a gorilla? And and two, <laughs> what, what? Why did you write the book? Um. So I'll do question two before I do question one, if that's okay, all right. That's so why did, why did I write the book? Um. I kind of I kind of got to a place where I had to. I had this idea in my head um, that I needed to I needed to get out and put down. And it's one of those things that um, it was necessarily complex, and therefore it isn't something that you could consolidate into a into an easy soundbite. It's something that needed a thorough examination and a thorough explanation. Um, so I kind of got to a point where I thought I'd, I'd had two people, one, one say, well, you should write a book. And the other one said, so how do I get your book? And I thought, yeah, um, okay. And I'd put it off for long enough. So I, I threw my hat over the wall, which is this, that's the Irish expression of if you throw your hat over the wall, then you've got to find a way of getting over the wall because <laughs> your hat's on the other side. So, so that's how, I that's how I make my, that's how I make myself do things. So I, I told a bunch of people I'm going to write a book and I thought, right, I better write it now. So, so that, that's kind of how I, how I did it. And I wanted to, I wanted to make a, a mark in the sand that was tangible and that could create a a new dialogue around how we do business in marketing and advertising because the 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 magnitude of the problem that we have as an industry um globally is um is is difficult to conceive um the relationship that i address in the book between marketers, advertising agencies, and procurement is one that one of my reviewers described brilliantly as an unholy trinity um, <laughs> because the, the, the apparent interests of those three in marketers wanting to get more for less, um, 
procurement largely protecting their organization from the profligacy of marketers and the um, and, and the irresponsibility of agencies and agencies mostly kind of drowning, not waving in financial terms. Um, they are at best divergent and at worst even mutually exclusive, yet into this unholy trinity, large corporations place billions upon billions of dollars and say, give me back more than those billions. And it is the worst, most hostile environment where people don't have a, a clear shared interest. So what I wanted to do was address that problem head on and say, okay, so what is the shared interest and how can we reframe this relationship so that we can start creating higher value for advertisers? Um, <clears throat> so that's what I needed. And, and once, I'd, once I'd unlocked that and I had an idea of how to do it, then that quite appropriately, if you'll pardon the pun, evolved into this gorilla thing <laughs> and to, and to, into, into a couple of other um, primates. So, <laughs> hey, can you explain to, the gorilla for our listeners? Because sure. you're talking about a specific <laughs> ad, aren't you? It was inspired by a specific ad. So in, in 2007, um, Cadbury, the, the um, very long-standing and well-loved chocolate manufacturer in the UK, um, bought a, a, an ad spot in a reality TV program, which we have. I don't know if you have it in the States, which is Big Brother. Right. Um, and they bunch of, throw a bunch of people into a pressure cooker and make them hate one another and drama ensues and so on. And... Um, <clears throat> And they, they bought the, the spot in the first ad break, and it opens on this um, nos literally a nostril shot of a gorilla um, to the, this, this sort of haunting soundtrack of Phil Collins in the air tonight. And you kind of slowly, the camera pulls back, and you see that this, this uh, gorilla is sitting behind a drum kit. And as this amazing drum break happens, you realize the gorilla is actually playing the drums and it you you you're kind of not sure when you first saw it particularly in 2007 you thought is that real is that a real gorilla or is that a, not a real gorilla <laughs> but it's one of those ads that is just so crazy but so good it makes your hair stand on end and you kind of you can't help but respond to it um and it was interesting for a couple of reasons one it was incredibly successful um, and this was way before, uh, I mean, more than 10 years ago, Facebook and YouTube and so on were still a lot smaller than they are now. But it was going like wildfire across the social media that there was. Um, so it had this infectious quality to it. Um, it. So it was incredibly impactful, but it broke a whole bunch of rules. It broke all of the conventional rules. It didn't have this dramatic setup of a problem that you need the product to solve. It didn't introduce the brand at the moment of highest dramatic effect. It didn't have the swirling chocolate shots. It didn't have a voiceover. It didn't have the 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 the, the dramatic benefit of how the product worked and the and the pack shot. It was all of those rules went out the window. Um, and when it was tested by a couple of well-known big research companies, it flopped. Um, and it, was, it nearly cost the marketing director his job to get it onto air. But he finally got it on air by giving it to giving copies of the, this ad to the board members and saying, just play it to your families and watch their faces. Don't look at the TV, just watch their faces. Um, and it and it won. It, it it just it went through and it it grew share by about five percent the following month. It was it was an amazing 
amazing piece of work. So I used the the metaphor. I took the I, I borrowed the idea of a gorilla as a metaphor for powerful advertising that stops you in your tracks and makes your hair stand on end. And why is there so little of it? Right, because right. the stuff that, the stuff that I described that comes out of formula. You can find that. I mean, in fact, when I, I, I use it in a presentation, I show that this, this, is, this is how you make um, the 30-second the sausage, I call it, because the idea is that if you, if you put any meat in a sausage machine, you're still going to get a sausage. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and, and this, this advertising formula of, of the beginning, middle, and end and, and how all of that works is just so well-worn that, in fact, they're so undifferentiated most of those ads don't do anything they actually don't do anything for their clients at all um and the ana the president of the ana said this a couple of years ago you know of the top 500 companies 250 aren't 250 aren't showing any growth and i'm sure advertising has got a big part to play in that because it's just dull a lot of it is just dull oh, and yeah. people can't be yeah. They can't be bored into persuade in, in, into changing their behavior. You have to inspire them into changing their behavior, and we've we've lost a lot of that. Well, um, I, love, I love your metaphor, of the monkey house, where you say the gorilla is the high impactful, original, engaging, mm. you know, transformative yeah. work that that is rare. And then, of course, you've got your orangutan, which is you yes. know some brands <laughs> need to play it safe and defend market share. Yeah. And then you've got the spider monkey, which is you know, the lower available media, but they need to punch above their weight. And I, I think that's a really effective metaphor, but, I, but, and, and you just answered this sort of, but I talked to somebody when I was in Australia earlier this year about advertising at an advertising marketing conference. And I asked him why, why is guerrilla advertising so rare? And, and, and who does he think is the best country in the world that, that mm. does the best advertising? And David, he said, New Zealand. And, and I just yep. wanted to get your take on that. I, and and yep. after he said that, I started watching some New Zealand ads, and yep. they are really well done, and they're very creative. Yeah. So you yep. would agree with that? Um, I, I wouldn't agree carte blanche, but I would say there is a proportion of the amount of um, of, of work that is done that they, they, they punch well above their weight for the size of the market in terms of doing great creative ads. And the funny thing is that I think that, I mean, with the greatest respect to, to New Zealand, and I definitely need to say this because my current client is a New Zealander, <laughs> um, <laughs> that it's it's... Uh, what I found is that sometimes there are markets that are considered and then there's the other ones by global advertisers and therefore they have license to to um, ski off piste a little more than they would do because they're not being overshadowed and looked at to deliver the global contributions that other ones are. So on the international side, there's that. On the um, On the cultural side, Australia and New Zealand are great. Um, in terms of uh, creative hubs, because um, I, I think that the that the culture there, which has got a very high, um, sorry, a very low power distance ratio, um, is very straightforward, very frank talking. And if they, you know, if they have a client who who um, says, "Oh no, I want to do this and I want to do that," they'll just say, "Well, I think that's a really stupid idea, mate, because <laughs> <laughs> it's going to make it dull, and you're not going to sell products." With, but, but in the in in the in the mature West, we're a lot more deferential to our clients, and there's not enough speaking of truth to power. So I think that's one of the other reasons that um, Australia, New Zealand, uh, South Africa is also quite. Um, 
uh, quite a low power distance ratio. So when I read about that from from Gladwell, I thought, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense in the creative business. Right. That you know, you talk. I love the whole unholy trinity uh, because <laughs> in the book you call the the three interests of marketing ad agencies procurement uh, a Mexican standoff. Yeah. And and I really liked what you said about rather than focusing on the wishes and interests of each of those three that what what we should focus on is the business problem that, that yep. the three of us need to solve. And that doesn't seem to happen. No, absolutely right. But I think what's it, it kind of led me down a path. And, and when I was in an agency, I couldn't figure this stuff out because the agenda of the agency is is all encompassing. And you can't think objectively about the agency's role in this contribution to, to to client success. But when I stepped out of that and I could see what was going on, I thought, okay, so what do we, what is that shared interest? And that shared interest in that relationship has got to be value, agency value to the client. So right. then that asks another question, what is agency value? And then the, the problem that that creates is, well, it's, it's a whole bunch of different things. And for one client, it's it's a steady ship and it's really prescriptively made, targeted, well-run, predictable advertising, which is what evolved into the orangutan. On the other hand, it's guys, you know, this is our only chance. We got some we got some money here to to launch this product, but if we don't get to market quickly and we don't do it brilliantly, we're toast. And that's your that's your spider monkey. And then for the big power brands in the middle, then they need to inspire to 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 kind of get new customers in, to fight off other gorillas in that marketplace, to fight off spider monkeys coming in trying to take chunks out of them. So it I it, it seemed like a good way that I could compartmentalize three essentially different plans on investment and risk. And that right. and that was the the breakthrough for me is that they are a different they are in they are different investment profiles because a gorilla is more expensive to feed than a spider monkey, it's more expensive than an orangutan, but an orangutan is still pretty expensive. So, it the 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 metaphor started to work and started to make sense as a shorthand for we need to do things differently. Sure. Um, and equally, when it came to agency management, we could do that because. If you're if you manage an agency too prescriptively, then when you want a gorilla, you end up with an orangutan, or a, or a, or even worse, a howler monkey, which is when <laughs> you really <laughs> that's when that's when you, you, you <laughs> the client and agency relationship is in terminal decline is when you develop howlers. Well, David, we're up against our next break, but when I when I get you back in the last segment, I want to kind of return to the procurement issue because I think you have a real sure. novel way and fantastic and effective way of looking at this. But folks, in the meantime, I'd like to remind you, if you want to contact Ed or myself, you can send us an email at asktsoe at verisage.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors. The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today. 
clouds come in all shapes and sizes, and the Abacus Private Cloud is the perfect fit. Abacus Cloud enables all the desktop apps you know and love while providing unparalleled security to your business. Cloud functionality gives you the flexibility to work where you want, when you want, and from any device you want. Don't waste countless hours managing IT. Take back your time. Learn more at abacusnext.com. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash U.S. forward slash S-O-E. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. And we are back here on the Soul of Enterprise. Um, I am Ed Kless, and we are talking to David Meikle. Uh, of course, I just wanted to mention here that, that this is uh, one of the few books that I've uh, read where uh, <laughs> that you actually mentioned the theme music that we use for the show. So we're really pleased about that. It was yeah. a double link. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Uh, clearly, clearly thinking along the same lines even years ago. You know, David, uh, I work for a company called Sage, which I'm sure you're aware mm-hmm. of because they're a really large uh, software company based out of the sure. UK. The brand name is extraordinarily well known um, in in, uh, in in the UK and Ireland, le- less well known here in the states, and and that's right. a challenge for us. But many of our organizations that that Ron and I have been affiliated with over the years, and and as a result, therefore, many of the listeners of this show are partner organizations of Sage. In other words, they either resell our software or they are recommenders of it. And right. as a result, what I really thought we, we would do in this segment is let's do a little bit of a deeper dive on the on the on what the spider monkeys are because I think right. that's, in my opinion, the kind of advertising that small and medium businesses should really focus on. So take us down. First of all, do you agree with that statement? And then take us down that path of what a spider monkey is and how it should operate. Yeah, I, I I do largely agree with that statement. I think the only reservation is that that the the um, the different monkeys are relative. So um, 
if you are a, a a small local company, then you could use an orangutan without huge budget. It's huge budget compared to what other people in your kind of um, competitive set might use. So the, ah. everything in the in the book isn't in absolutes, but in terms of so in terms of Spider Monkey, if you want if you want to uh, to to get a higher return on your marketing investment, then would be normal or routinely predictable like any other investment it has to embrace greater risk and the question because you can't get you can't get a uh, a high return from low risk that that's just right. not how e economics works and marketing is no different the problem is that people don't see where the risk is when they're doing the things that they're doing so um if you if you have a, a, a little amount to invest and sometimes we i've you know i've i've worked on and i've known other people work on brands that have had very limited budgets and want to be national brands so for example in the 90s i worked on a, a fashion brand called ben sherman shirts which was an iconic brand in the 60s that had a resurgence with the brit pop music of the 90s and the way that they got the best value out of the agency was just by literally saying, we have no idea what to do with this brand. We've just bought it and just help us. What do we do with it? And the agency, because I was working at Gray, which at the time didn't have quite the creative profile it's enjoying today. It was mostly pastes and pills and powders and pet foods. Suddenly, you know, there was this, there was this brand that we could do amazing work with. So, for a spider monkey, if you want to get high value from your agency, then you then you give them much more control than you would normally uh, afford an agency if you were being more cautious and risk averse. But then you have to you have to kind of let go and trust that it's in their interest to 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 a do fantastic work for you because that's the reason that they're doing it, and b that they want to make you a grower. So it's all part of. For me, the, the, the spider monkey route is, is part of a sourcing strategy for how you choose which agency to work with. And it doesn't necessarily mean that if you've got a mid-sized budget, you go to a mid-sized agency. Because if you're prepared to take the risk of not doing, of not controlling, then you can actually get very big agencies with huge amounts of talent to do tons and tons of work that you don't pay for because it's all discretionary effort because they want to do it and get very, very high value advertising for a lot, lot less than you would normally expect. But you can't do that and prescribe and tell the agency what to do at the same time. So there's, there's, there's kind of a, a, a balance there for, for small businesses who, who want to get a greater bang for their buck um, in the, in their advertising pocket, then the risk can either be how you manage your um, your creative process and, and creativity per se. It might be that you need a more radical media strategy. It might be that you need to look at um, how you can dominate or or, or own um, a particular medium. But that means you're not doing other stuff, and all of this all of this feels uncomfortable to to people who are looking for predictability. The, the biggest dynamic in, 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 in the whole problem that I'm addressing in spider monkeys, orangutans and gorillas is risk, return and predictability. Um, and part of, part of the macro problem here is that, I mean, if the clients that you're speaking to are, are CFOs and CEOs, 
that's the that's the real place where this work needs to be done particularly as if we talk in in uh, uh, about procurement a bit later on the role of cfo in determining what procurement do and how they manage investments has got to change if you're going to release those investments to do what they're meant to do which is provide a return greater than the principal the problem is yeah. that the more con- the more control you apply to how that return is is um, is determined. The more control you do, the more risk averse you are, and the lower that return will be. Um, and that's that's a, a a very difficult principle for people who are in the stability risk aversion business, CFOs and CEOs, to kind of say, yeah, okay, take that risk, let's do it, let's see what you can do. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, one of one of the, the great uh, sentences, I'll just read it from the book, is uh, for, for spider monkey brands, playing it safe could, could be the very cause of their downfall. Yeah. Right? And for, for gorilla brands, playing it safe could mean distinctiveness of their campaign. The very thing they need is tempered by ROI and its compromise. And that's something that Ron and I have talked an awful lot about absolutely. is that, you know, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, P- P- Peter Drucker's uh, way the, uh, that he looked at risk, I think, was just fascinating. And the biggest thing that I think oh, yeah. these small companies miss is that they, they miss the risks that they can't afford not to take. That's that's the biggest danger yes. for them. Absolutely, it's the opportunity risk. Um, I mean, in uh, in a in a in a moment of, of mutual book love, um, I was I'm I'm going through I'm getting I'm getting the Ron Baker headache that Jay Shepard promised in the in the introduction <laughs> to implementing value pricing. Um, but uh, just yeah, read the, chapter the, the, thirty. The, by the way, chapter thirty is the best thirty. It's on it's on project management. <laughs> You can skip the rest of the book. That's the one Ed wrote. I wrote that chapter. All oh, right. Okay. Thanks. Thanks, Ed. I'll make sure I have a look at that. But but the 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 most succinct expression of the problem that is misunderstood by those people with the power to affect it is that profit is risk. Um, and that was that was something that that the the other the other line that I took out of there that I'm already plagiarizing and using. Actually, I'm not. I'm crediting it to you, Ron. Is there's no right way to do the wrong thing. Um, and and there's too much of that because the wrong thing has just become by a, a, a process of a ceremonial displays of rationality and risk aversion um, has just grown into this idea of best practice, which is wholly inappropriate for the business objectives that we want to get. Yep. All right. Well, I, I only have two minutes left with you, David, and I'm going sure. to ask you a question. I'm probably going to steal a little bit of where Ron wanted to go, but you know, I don't care. That's my role. I'm, I'm co-host, so I get to steal <laughs> stuff from him. I, I, I wanted to ask you this question. What's it like to work with Rory Sutherland? <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, I didn't. I didn't have a huge amount of experience uh, of working with Rory. We, we were at Ogilvy for this at the same time, which was sort of two thousand, two thousand three. Um, unfortunately, he never came out to Russia when I was there because I would have absolutely loved to have got his perspective on the the the, the minus two sum culture um, and and his views on 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 a lot of parts of Russia. But I collaborated with him with a lot of the early thinking for the book. Um, I, I met him. I met him a year ago, the day before my book launch. We were both at another book launch for System One Research, and um, I'd forgotten because I hadn't seen him for a while that you're, you're kind of releasing the nozzle on the on the intellectual fire hose when you talk to Roy. <laughs> you kind of you have to, you have to say how are you, and then just hold on to something. 
<laughs> because because whatever follows is just going to follow, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> but it's all no, it's all high value. Yeah, he's he's an yeah. extraordinary character. Fond of him as as millions of people are. Yeah, great fun. No, we we we've had him on a, on as a guest, and and you know as as you now know, we have four segments, and I'm pretty sure we asked four questions. <laughs> <laughs> that would be about right. <laughs> <laughs> all right well we're up against our, yeah we're up against our last break i want to remind you, you can get a hold of ron or me the email is of course ask tso at verisage.com the website the soul of enterprise.com but right now a word from our sponsor and we were just talking about them my employer sage Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Wherever your business is headed, Sage has the cloud solution you need to enable mobile accounting and simplify financial management. Discover how moving your financial data and accounting processes to the cloud can transform your business. Cloud accounting software from Sage can help you make better decisions, drive faster responses, and gain greater control. That's cloud accounting for the journey. For more information, visit sage.com forward slash US forward slash SOE. There is no blueprint for running the perfect firm. No way to know the challenges you'll face. But your journey does not have to be an odyssey. Experience what it is like for every part of your firm to be connected. Experience a practice management tool where everything is just a click away. Experience Office Tools. To learn more, visit officetools.com. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. But have you ever read a book where the forward changed your life? Me neither. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I wrote the forward to Ron Baker and Ed Kless's new ebook, The Soul of Enterprise, Dialogues on Business and the Knowledge Economy. The value of this book is found entirely in its forward. So when you buy it, think of it as buying the forward and getting the rest of the book for free. Available now for download exclusively on Amazon.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with the author of How to Buy a Gorilla, David Meikle. And David, uh, you 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 confessed stealing something from my book or plagiarizing, Ooh. and I'm going to confess plagiarizing something from you. When I first <laughs> saw you speak in Toronto, and, and in your book, you tell this story, too. You talk about being in a class full of procurement people, and you ask uh, them to raise their hand yeah. if they're incentivized to save money on marketing. Of course, all the hands go up. And then you say... Keep your hands up if your bonus is in any way contingent on the value of the marketing yeah. services and, yeah. and all the hands drop. And yeah. I, you know what? That's brilliant because you say that we should hold procurement to the same KPIs as marketing. 100%. And we don't. And we yeah. don't do that. Why not? It, 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 it's, there's a couple of reasons. One, it, it, it makes absolutely no sense that you wouldn't. 
um, because otherwise you're just creating this dynamic of one person's trying to reduce investment and one person's trying to increase investment. And you shouldn't be determining that by who's got a bigger stick. You should be determining that by strategic need. What should we be investing and how do we optimize that investment? Um, and the risk profile should be according to your business case, not according to whether or not the procurement's got a, a, a bit more authority and sway with the board than, than marketing. It, it, it just makes no sense at all. We need to be strategic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that that's one of the problems. The other problem is that, you know, I wrote a piece about the, the, the nonsense of um, working versus what non-working um, dollars, in which is a, a, a management consultancy term that is meant to say that working dollars are media and sales promotion because we know exactly what they deliver and non-working is agency fees for strategy, creative um, it's production of TV commercials and stuff. And I wrote a piece that said, this is just such utter nonsense. We need to address it. And two or three people on LinkedIn gave me direct messages. And these were procurement guys saying, yeah, um, <clears throat> I kind of, kind of agree with you. But, you know, it's really easy doing what we're doing. So why would we bite the hand that feeds? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, a lot of times we just don't say no to procurement. That that's our, yeah. that's one of our problems. Yeah, it's really frustrating. I spent, I spent a lot of time negotiating, uh, teaching negotiation for agencies, not because I want agencies to win, but so that they can negotiate delivering better value. Right. Um, and and one of the answers to that is when they say, "Can you?" The reason that they're asking you to give the money off is because they can, and the reason you do is because you can. There isn't actually a strategic reason for doing that. You just have to say no, or you have to tell them what the consequence is, or you have to tell, you have to say to marketing, yeah, we can reduce this by 30% as long as you want to either take that risk or, or, or expect a reduced return. It's an right. investment. There's got to be a trade-off there. Um, and, and, and that's just a great point. And I did buy, and I did give you credit and I, I, I was down in Australia <laughs> doing full day workshops with marketing agencies. And I, and I told that story and I just love that. I, that, that really was paradigm uh, shifting for me. The other thing I really liked is in your book, you quote um, Stephen Covey, the son of uh, you quote his book, the speed of trust. And he says, yes. you know, without trust, we, we don't truly collaborate. We yeah. merely coordinate or cooperate at yeah. best. And it's trust that transform a group of people into a team. H how do you think the billable hour has played into this reduction of trust and, and contributed oh. to this unholy trinity? Um, horrifically. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely a, a core part of it. Um, I'm working with a, a client at the moment <clears throat> on sourcing an agency, and we were talking about remuneration strategy the other day. And I'm glad to say, that with just a, a, an intellectual hypothesized argument about the nonsense of paying by the billable hour, they understood quite quickly why it would not be in their interest to try and hire an agency that you pay by the hour because you immediately create a conflict of interest. If I, if I ask a builder, you know, how much do you charge by the day and then how many days does it take to build a wall? Or I say, how much does it take to build that wall? One price is going to be better than the other. Um, you, I think you introduced me. Is it Parkinson's law that you that that you um, if you allocate an amount of time you you, you to to fulfilling a task, it takes that right, the, the amount right. of time required expands to occupy it. Yep. These are all the kind of dynamics that go into the billable hour. But the biggest problem with the billable hour is that it is it is two steps removed from value because.
says, if you pay me for an hour, it doesn't necessarily mean that I am effortful in that hour. And if I am effortful in that hour, it still doesn't mean that I know what I'm doing and I'm creating value in that hour. So without those two bits, it's just a number. Not all hours are the same. One of the things I really loved about the book, David, is you, you constantly talk about how marketing, you know, it's a creative process. It's the art of persuasion and it is an art. It's not a science. And we feel that way about business, by the way. And Ed, yeah. Ed's got this great line, you know, business ain't science. But yeah. I, I loved your metaphor of, you know, the hourly billing. Sure, it's easy to measure, but we might as well evaluate an artist on the amount of paint they say yes. they'll need. <laughs> I thought that was... Did I write that? That's really quite good. <laughs> it is quite good because uh, you know, it's an input measure, not an outcome yeah. measure. And yeah, yeah, yeah. We're we're being paid for outcomes. the The other thing is in in the book, you seem to towards the end talk about how agencies should work a lot more on differentiation and maybe specialization. And you know, our mutual friend and our colleague Tim Williams. You know, he's written mm. a whole book, Positioning for Professionals, and you've probably mm. heard him, and he's a big believer in putting yourself in a box and, and, and specializing. Is mm. is that kind of what you advise your clients as well? Uh, my agency clients, I um, to a degree. I mean, I think there's a I think there's a myth that's been um, perpetrated by the the procurement community, which is that the agency market and i can speak confidently about the uk more than i can about the states is oversupplied um and that this is the reason that it's become commoditized and this is the reason that it needs to be price competitive and it's a nonsense um certainly in the uk market i can find it quite easy to differentiate in the uk market between agencies with strong employer brands and i use employer brands as a better proxy for value than anything else because great employer brands get better people better people make better ads better ads attract better clients and you get this virtual circle of value creation so that you know if i if i can if i map size versus employer brand then i can say there's only one segment that would be appropriate for any given client and of that segment you then got to take out all a bunch of people who are working for clients in the same category and you end up with a much smaller selection than what you would say would be an, an oversupplied market um so that there's we the agency world has believed a lot of the stuff that that in fact procurement uses as a strategy to be able to move um, clients from what is is according to Peter Kraljic a strategic buy into a leverage buy, um, which is the the strategic buy is long term cooperation, relationship management, uh, maximizing investment, and and a mutuality of success. And a leverage buy is is as my procurement friend put it, that's when you pick up your baseball bat and put on your crash helmet and go and negotiate. <laughs> but david uh, we've only got a couple minutes maybe even a little bit less but real quick sh- should the marketing community get over this conflict of interest thing that the idea that you know if i work for pepsi i can't work for coke i mean coke and pepsi hire mckinsey and all these other consultants why can't yeah, yeah. why is there conflict of interest in marketing still I think there's a little bit of horses for courses. If you look at if you look at Apple, then you know they black out windows on the twentieth floor of a tower block where their agency's working in case someone uses a drone. There's that right. level. 
you know, which is kind of, you know, paranoid, but there's that there is a level of for, for, for the high stakes there. For lower stakes, it's much less important, I think. Um, I think there's a lot of nonsense about it. Um, I ran a pitch for the post office in the UK and we just had grown up conversations and said, look, if, if you think your client's going to have a problem with this, then we'll happily have a chat with you and them about it and see if we can't cohabit effectively. Um, right. I think there's too much black and whiteness about the whole thing. Um, it, it, it's not something that, that, that should be quite as straightforward and quite as precious. But the best argument that I did hear um, from Shelley Lazarus is that the chairman of Unilever met with her and she brought up the whole issue of conflict and why can't we handle P&G and Ogilvy at the time and yada yada. And he said... That's because I want you to hate them as much as I do. <laughs> well, <laughs> and well, I David, kind of thought, well, that's the best argument I've heard. <laughs> we're, we're out of time. And uh, just have you finished The Americans really quick? Oh, yeah. I, I, I've got one more series to go, I think. But oh, okay. I love it. Okay, no spoiler alerts. You turned me on to Goliath. I turned you on to the Americans. Uh, so, uh, we're, David, thank you so much for appearing on the Soul of Enterprise. This has been great. We'll link to your book. Um, we'll get to have total show notes up there. Thanks so much for appearing. And Ed, what do we got next week? One word, Ron. Gilder. Gilder. George Gilder, my all-time mentor. So I will see you in 167 hours. Thanks very much, gentlemen. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, energizing business builders around the world through the imagination of our people and the power of technology. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. In the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com. <laughs>